Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hey, everybody, this is See It to Be It, the Wednesday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'm the host of See It to Be It. When I was growing up in rural southern Indiana, I didn't know people who had gone to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. In most cases, I didn't even know the jobs existed. But this show isn't about me, it's about my guests. Every week, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Patricia Hayes. She's a lobbyist attorney turned career coach, and she's absolutely delightful. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, y'all? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. This week, let's talk about a few things you can negotiate for that aren't salary. When we hear negotiation in relation to careers, most of our minds go to salary. But there are so many other things you can negotiate for, especially if the company may not be able to budge on the salary itself. So let's run through a couple of things you might want to consider asking for. Number one, PTO or vacation time. Many companies have a certain level they bring you in at. If you think you'd benefit from additional hours or days, ask for it. Number two, remote work or work schedule flexibility. Maybe the traditional nine to five hours don't work for you. You can ask for days where you work from home or depending on your industry, you could ask to shift your hours. Maybe a 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. works better for you. Number three, transportation allowance. If you live in a large city and use public transportation, negotiate for an annual pass. If you travel quite a distance into work every day, negotiate mileage. Number four, tuition reimbursement. If the company you're going to doesn't already have a program, you could ask for a certain amount. If they do have a program, you may be able to negotiate a higher reimbursement amount. Number five, professional organization or association dues. Many fields have their own professional organizations and associations. For example, those in HR have Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM. The organizations provide opportunities to get certified, network, and stay on top of the latest industry knowledge. You can incorporate their annual dues in your ask if that's important for you. Number six, conference attendance fees. Many of the professional organizations and associations also host annual conferences. These are a great way to make meaningful connections and begin establishing your professional brand. 
Conference attendance is typically less than a membership, so you could use this in a counteroffer if the dues are too high for the company. Number seven, your job title. Sometimes just having a certain title can set you up for success in landing your next role. If you find yourself in that situation, then negotiate a title change. Number eight, a sign-on bonus. This pretty much speaks for itself. Who doesn't like extra money just for signing a piece of paper? Number nine, a 90 day or first year bonus. If you don't feel confident in asking for a sign-on bonus, then ask for a 90 day or first year bonus. Work with your boss to set some goals and if you achieve them, boom, you get your coin. Number 10, relocation fees. If you're moving to another state for the position, you could incorporate relocation fees into your ask. I've seen quite a few people score a few extra thousand by doing this. I know negotiation can be difficult because many of us feel like we should just be grateful for the opportunity and accept the first offer we're given. But the reality is that that mindset leaves money or perks on the table. So next time, make sure you at least ask for something. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by the Liberated Love Notes podcast, part of the Living Corporate Network. The Liberated Love Notes podcast is a starting point for integrating self and community affirmations into your daily practices. The Liberated Love Notes podcast center the experience of black folks existing in white systems and speaks to overcoming imposter syndrome, disrupting injected and internalized forms of oppression, embodying an abundance mindset and building a healthy racial identity check out liberated love notes podcast wherever you listen to podcasts hosted by Brittany Janae Harris welcome back to see it to be it my guest today is Patricia Hayes Patricia is an executive advisor career empowerment coach and authentic networking strategist who empowers female professionals entrepreneurs and their teams to up-level their executive presence and build sustainable professional networks authentically and purposefully. And if you are a fan of this show or if you follow any of my work, you know how important I believe networking to be um, in terms of not just the opportunities that are available to us, but the opportunities that we share with others. I am so excited, Patricia, to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. So I like to start by saying how we met, but I honestly don't even remember how we met. I remember. I remember. We have a mutual friend, um, Nicolette, and I saw that you had been on a podcast with her or she had been on your podcast. I can't remember which. And I saw the topic that y'all were talking about. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to connect with her. So that is how we met. That's right. Thank you. I'm, I appreciate you jogging my memory on that. I knew it was through a mutual connection, but I couldn't remember who. So uh, again, the power of networking. Sometimes we make friends with people we don't even know where they came from, but that's yes. okay. So I want to start, I want to go back to your early career because you were not always doing the kind of work that you're doing right now. You actually, by by training and by trade, were an attorney, correct? Yes, and I still am. I keep it active. But yes, I went um, to law school planning to work in the education area, which I did for 20 plus years and still do a little bit of it now. 
But I had always dreamed of being a, a lawyer, of being an attorney. And my rationale was I wanted to help people. And it's because I'm really an advocate at, um, at heart. And so that's how I got started. And I practiced law in the education field, as well as um, served as a government relations lobbyist um, and did legislative policy for a number of years in a whole bunch of different ways. And that's really been my career um, up until about five or six years ago. And so what prompted you to transition? Because that's really, I would think that that work would be very fulfilling. Um Sometimes infuriating, but very fulfilling. Right. <laughs> um, but what was the impetus behind the change from going to uh, lobbying as an attorney to the work that you're doing now as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so it was kind of a overlap and something I always did, right? So because you know I'm very much into personal development, professional development, and learning. I mean, I was the kid who always had a book in her hand. I was playing teacher with my sisters when we were little. So that kind of instructor and learning piece was always a part of me. And um, and so one of the things I always did was I was always giving presentations at professional development organizations and conferences and things like that all along throughout my career, sometimes related directly to the work that I was doing other times, not really much more in that, like, especially in women's empowerment or uh, career development type things. And literally those are just the things I did for fun on the side. And as things progressed um, about 11 years ago, I went out on my own. So that's when I uh, started a uh, legislative uh, consulting firm. And I was doing that work by myself with some partners, just kind of a little bit of everything. And then as things progressed, quite frankly, just in the where I live, the politics just really started getting nasty. And I know it sounds crazy. It's like, well, that's what the job you're in. I was like, yes, but it just became very not pleasant. You know, we, in previous years, we could be on opposite sides of the table, um, work through issues and then go out to dinner afterwards. And it just wasn't that environment anymore. So I was trying to look at what else I might be interested in doing. And I was talking to a friend of mine and, uh, they were like, you know, that stuff you like to do for fun it's a real job. Like it's called coaching. And I was like, Oh really? They're like, yeah, people get paid to do that. And so, and so that's what really piqued my interest. And I started exploring it. And while I was still doing my legislative consulting work and policy work, I started exploring and getting training in how to start uh, start a coaching business on the side and I had some wonderful business coaches along the way um, who've helped in developing and pursuing that. And to the point where um, I basically walked away from most of my policy consulting work and are, you know, I'm doing the executive advisory, the career empowerment um, and networking coaching um, almost exclusively. I still do a few of the other things. Um, there are people who know my background will come ask me to do some work. And of course I will m- sometimes, but it's not the primary source of what I'm doing these days. And I keep my law, my legal uh uh, license uh, active because I always joke and tell people I'm like I can I can pitch a, a tent 
uh, anywhere <laughs> and practice law. So I, I always joke and tell people practicing law is my retirement gig. So that's kind of <laughs> the, the quick and dirty of it. That is great. So, you know, there are so many coaches um, and so many different kinds of coaches. Yeah. Right. There are life coaches, business coaches, executive coaches, career coaches, um, job search coaches. I mean, it, I feel like everybody that does anything now uh, does some form of coaching. And there's, I want to say there's nothing wrong with that, right? We right. all need coaching in different aspects of our lives. Can you explain exactly what kind of coaching you do and who you help? Right. So yeah, you're right. There's so much out there. And especially in the times that we live, you know, people are looking to do other things to supplement their income. So it's really easy to kind of jump in there and put a title on. But really, when you start getting down to the nitty gritty of what coaching is really about, it's really about helping someone get from point A to point B with point B being a higher level of achievement for themselves. It's not necessarily based on achieving success externally. It very well could be, but it's not solely that, right? It's about helping people get from one level of who they are to the next so that they can perform in a way that they really want to. Now, ideally, when someone's taking on and start calling themselves a coach, they're utilizing skills that they've built along the way in their career. That's why you can have so many different things and people with completely different backgrounds saying that they're both life coaches or whatever, right? So it really depends if you're doing it right and showing your value and how you can uh, be of value to someone, you're making it more unique because it's about what do you bring to the table to... Um, to support the work that you want to do and to advise people. And that's why you can have so many different types of coaches and different people doing the work um, because it's really a personal relationship that you're seeking to build out with someone, um, When, especially when you're doing one-on-one -on -one work. You've got to click with the person. If you don't click with them, then it's less likely that you're going to really get what you need from them in order to achieve the success that you want to. So it's that whole thing of everybody's not for you and you are not for everybody, and that's okay. But if you really want to be successful, then you hone in and driving for it who you are and what you bring to the table so that your ideal clients can come to you. So for me, my the things that really add to who I am and when people want to work with me is because I have had such a diverse background and professionally where I've Yes, I'm a, a lawyer by training, which a lot of people automatically take as some weight, you know, as far as my being able to offer some quote sound advice. But, you know, lawyers are not always necessarily the best ones to talk about how to get your career, your life better. Right. But for me, it's because I have had these other experiences along the way. I was never just practicing as a lawyer. I always was doing something else, whether that was being a lobbyist 
or whether I was serving in a senior management position. Um, I've served on a number of nonprofit and other types of boards. So I built out my leadership capacity along with that. And so it's with those diversity of things and adding to it that speaking on the side that I was doing at different conferences, showing the value I could bring with how you could better yourself personally and professionally, All of those things are what I bring to the table right now in order to help people who either need another set of, you know, who needs another brain to help them if they're an executive, they need someone from the outside to help them with a special project perhaps, or to think through some major shifts they're about to take or make, or if it's someone, you know, another professional, you know, lawyers, uh, accountants, you know, business execs, or even entrepreneurs. I'm really surprised by that, but I, I've been attracting more more people, especially women um, in leadership who are like, yeah, you have a background that I can identify with. And I think that you can help me to address the problems or the situations that I'm addressed that I have, as well as, you know, of course, my networking piece, the strategy behind that, because my entire career is basically built on how to build relationships. That's what lobbying and government relations is all about. And so I just brought all of those things together to, you know, to put myself out there as this unique executive advisor and uh, empowerment coach. So that's that's kind of where how I got to where I am. I love that. And so as you were talking, I was thinking about, oh, you help people evolve like Pokemon. <laughs> they become like the next version of themselves. Yes. Um, so talk to me a little bit because you, you talk about helping people build their executive presence. Yes. And I think that executive presence means a lot of different things to different people. Yes. Um, and – I'm going to go so far as to say executive presence is usually um, in a lot of cases when I hear people talk about executive presence, like out in the wild, right, in, in business settings. Yes. Uh, what they mean is how masculine is the person and how white is the person. And I'm wondering from your perspective, how do you define executive presence? Uh, well, it's not what you just described. I didn't <laughs> think it would be. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is great. I love, love, love talking about this because the first thing, you you hit the nail on the head a couple of different times there. Number one, it's a very limited purview that it that is basically means how masculine, how white, how male um, you are and how you deliver it and how much you align with that. And that's very old school, especially for women. I mean, that was the thing. That's how you could quote, get ahead is so that you could, basically dumb down yourself and make yourself look as male and uh, white facing in whatever way. Now, I'm going to interrupt you just a second, because one of the things that I always tell people is when I talk about covering in the in the work that I do, I talk about you remember those shoulder pads that women wore in the 80s? Yes. Women went into the workforce and they didn't just have to to have big shoulders like men. They had to have big shoulders like linebackers, right? Yes. And it's like, it's the most ridiculous thing. Like you look at somebody, you know, they're a woman, you know, that they're dressed, you know, they're wearing a dress, but they've got these shoulder pads that make them look like they're getting ready to play, you know, defensive. Oh, it's worse. It's even worse because remember they put those horrible shoulder pads in suits and you had to wear a skirt that hit your knees and wear pantyhose and pumps on top of it. Really? (laughs) 
It's like from here to here, you have to be as masculine as possible, but everywhere else, super yes. feminine. Yes. And so it's just, it's funny to me. So when still, when people talk about executive presence, right, I get this feeling like I have to put on some other suit. Yeah. Right? I have to put on some other skin to yes. have executive presence. So I'm sorry I interrupted you, but that's the no, no, visual that I always get. No, but no, that's fine because that's, that is so true. And that is what keeps people from getting to the next level because anytime you are assuming someone else's persona, that means you are not authentically being yourself and you're only going to get so far. And that is the piece that people forget. And they've been coming more into it, right? I mean, just our world has just been blown to pieces. And so it's much more open, but we still have so far to go when it comes to that. So in particular, when I'm talking about executive presence, it's about a compilation of the different skills and personality and things that you bring to the table. A lot of times what it narrows down to is how do you communicate with others? How are you presenting yourself when you're, uh, when you're, you know, in meetings, when you're communicating via, you know, in emails, those types of things, whether you have, whether you're able to deliver a presentation and, and speak publicly, right? And then just literally like, how are you carrying yourself? How are you showing up as a leader? Okay. All of those things, nothing in those things say that you have to be a man to do that. It's absolutely true, but they're also very intangible, right? They're, they are very intangible, which is why people get stuck and don't move to the next level because folks will be like, oh, well, I don't have good executive presence. I'm like, well, who told you that? Because they started making assumptions. And when you start making assumptions and assuming what other people define, how they other people define situations, how other people define leaders, that's when you have to start going in. There's a whole mindset shift that has to occur so that you can know that you whatever level of success you've achieved to this point, like it can go to the next level, but it's going to require you taking off blinders, shedding some weight you've been carrying that belonged to other people, not you. <laughs> both personally and professionally, so that you can get to that next piece where you can walk into a room and get the respect that you deserve, regardless of whether you're female or male. I, you know, there are, there are all these simple things that people think there's some major, um, there's some major piece that has to be done in order to quote, be executive or be professional. And it's most of the time it's not. It's literally when you walk into a room, whether you sit down on the sidelines or you walk up to the table. And that's a common one that people use, but it's very accurate, particularly when it comes to women. So we're just going to presume right now that I'm talking at talking to women a lot of times because the women are the ones who predominantly have this issue with executive presence. We're not good in general at faking it. Um, because it comes across as inauthentic mm. and they're uncomfortable. So it's about, I help people become comfortable with acknowledging the power that they walk in and to utilize it and to say, you know, when someone says, oh, but I really haven't done very much. I'm like, oh, you mean that 15 years of experience in that field that you have? Right. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's easy for people to discount their own experience, yes. their own expertise, and especially their own strengths. Because yes. when we when we go at something and it's easy for us, yes, and other people are struggling and we just do it, right? And yes. they're like, "How did you do that?" We have no idea how we did yes. it. 
Yes. You just did it. Yes. And without that struggle, it's hard to value it sometimes. And and that's very true. And it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, I still have those moments, but I just know how to get past them more quickly, right? Because I've been trained and that's what I help people do. But it is very much that thing. The thing that you take for granted is probably your, within your zone of excellence or your zone of genius. There's a great book, uh, The Big Leap by Gay Hendrick. Oh my gosh, it is fantastic. And it talks all, all about that, about moving beyond what you're just good at to what you're not, and not just what you're excellent at, but literally your zone of genius, because it's the thing that you probably take for granted. And don't and don't really struggle much with. So for me, it's public speaking and networking. Now I am well aware that those are two things that the majority of society detest. They're number one and number two in the professional skills department where people hate. But I love it, right? And I, but I just do some of this stuff without thinking about it, and and even need to back off and remember that what comes so naturally to me for this does not come so naturally to someone else. And how I remind myself of that is when it's time to sit down and look at a book of numbers, I'm like, oh my God, I need to call somebody else because that is not my thing, right? (laughs) That's not my thing. And it's those simple things about how we spend our time struggling in areas that we shouldn't where because we're taking away from who we really are and being willing to walk away from those things, get some support from someone else to help us in those areas that we're not strong. And then so that we can focus on our strengths. All of that is about leadership. It is about building a presence so that you can walk more confidently in what it is that you are meant to do. And I love working with people to help figure out what that is and or to bring it back. Because sometimes you've just had a bad experience. We, I, I, It's happened to me where you get burned or burnt out in the workplace. And so your confidence gets shattered and you need it to be rebuilt. And that's what I help people do so that they can pursue the goals and dreams that they want um, professionally and even personally, because it's really hard to to separate the two these days, but they can do that and they can do it with confidence. Absolutely. And you know, the two things that you talked about are the, I think three in that, right? Communication, those are skills. Yes. That's something you can learn, just like you can learn to ride a bike, just like you yep. can learn to use Excel. You can learn to communicate better. You can learn to be a better presenter. Maybe yes. you're not going to be Tony Robbins. Right. Right. But you can learn to be an adequate you know, competent presenter. Almost anybody can. It may not be your favorite thing, but you can get there. And networking is a skill that can be learned. Yes. And I think people, a lot of times with networking, they, they misconstrue what networking is. They think networking is marketing and sales and being pushy. Yep. And what I heard you say earlier is networking is building relationships. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, many people, even in you know these times, they still think of networking as that with that slimy kind of outcome where you walk in and you're like, oh, and you're just you know pushing your business card at someone. I'm like, who even uses business cards anymore, right? But you know, it's that whole feeling of you're just walking in and you're pushing yourself off on someone as opposed to approaching someone with what can I offer this person today? And what can I learn from this person today? That's a totally 
totally different mindset. I always focus specifically when I talk about authentic networking because it really is about giving and not taking. That is a distinction. And being open to receiving, right? Because part of networking is a two-way street. You have to not just be willing to give of yourself, which may be, you know, uh, sharing your knowledge, sharing other relationships that you have, but you also have to be willing to receive what people may offer you. When you're just networking and it's that slimy thing where you're just going to say, what can I get from someone? That's the taking mentality. That's when you're really probably limiting yourself because people who approach it that way, they're like, well, I need this. This, this person can't give it to me, so I'm going to move on to the next person. But what they missed out on is while that person may not be the one to give you A, they know someone who can, but you didn't take the time to get to know them better to discover that that really was the connection you needed in order to move to the next point or the next re- achieve your next goal. That is so true. And, you know, I, I was talking to a group of, of entrepreneurs once. Um, they were women who were founders of of um, potentially scalable startups, and they brought me in to talk about networking. And there was this disconnect in what we were talking about, in what I was talking about with how it was landing with them, and it was remote, and I couldn't see them, so that kind of added to the problem. But the a woman finally asked a question. She's like, "But how do I get money from people that I don't like?" Oh wow. And that was her question. That was what she thought networking was. <laughs> yeah. And immediately I understood why these women weren't getting funding. And yep. the reason they weren't getting funding is if you if somebody walks into a room with a stack of $100 bills and everybody's trying to get one of those $100 bills, nobody is interesting to that person. The only interesting person in the room is the one with the stack of hundreds. Yes. Right? And my thing is, okay, you don't go in and ask for the stack of hundreds. You go in and you say, wow, you know, I love those shoes. Where'd you get them? Do you have a tailor you can recommend? Right? Or I noticed when you were driving in that, you know, whatever, right? You you start a yep. conversation about anything but what you want. Yep. And you find out what that person wants and then you connect them so they can get it. Yep. And then, and here's the thing, you walk away. Yes. And now they're like, wow, they just did something for me and they didn't want anything from me. Yes. What's up with that, right? It may not come back to you in one-to-one, but I, I try to impress upon people. Look, if you everybody you meet, you leave them better than you found them, that is going to come back to you someday. It's true. It really is true. A couple of my favorite stories, I'm going to tell you one, but I want to go back to something you mentioned because in that example you gave when they said, how do you get money from people you don't like? And I'm like, that is so problematic. Like, why do you want money from people you don't like? That's problematic in and of itself, right? Because trust you me, if I don't click with you, there's some there's a red flag for a reason and I don't want anything from you, least of all your money, because I have a very strong take that that will come back in a negative way, right? Absolutely. So I don't so that's the first problem. And that's when that thing is when people are willing to take money, take of resources from any source and from anything without in regard to what's sustainable 
and how it's going to play for play into you know what you want to do for the long term. There are people who are out that and they're perfectly happy to do that. That's their business, but it's not sustainable. Like that will break at some point in time. You will not be able to call those people that you quote took that money from in 15 years to help you launch your next deal. It's not going to happen, right? That's that, exactly true. And that's what, you know, when you're doing networking the right way, you're building out a network that can be utilized for years and years to come, not just by you, but by others that you are connected to. That's the problem. People think of it as just what am I going to get? Networking is not just about what are you going to get? It's about what can you offer? What can you receive? And then how am I going to share that with other people? Because when you start sharing, you therefore expand your network automatically without doing another thing. That is right. And I will add to that, that the less I like somebody, the faster I try to help them. So I can get out of the situation, still feel good about it. Yeah, you're better than me. If I don't, if I, if I've got a bad, if I've got a red flag moment, I'm getting out of that situation as courteously as I can, and I'm probably not going to help them because those are the people who come back to haunt you. Well, you know, I try to suspend judgment because I've learned <laughs> that sometimes, right? It's not about them; it's about me. It's about they yes, remind me of somebody I that I don't like, or yes. you know, they remind me of somebody from my past, or whatever the thing is. And I'm like, yes. this isn't about them. This is about yes. me and how I'm feeling. How I'm going to make myself comfortable with this is I'm going to find out what are they trying to accomplish, and I don't extend myself too far, right? But I'll say, right. oh, you know, I read a great book on this, yeah. Or have you checked out so and so's TED Talk? Or yeah. whatever the thing is, right? I'm giving them some some information that they may not already have so that I can politely excuse myself. Yeah. And I try every time I meet somebody to find some way I can help them, however small. So I know that even if nothing else about the interaction felt good, I'm going to leave them with both of us feeling a little bit better. Yeah. And, you know, and I I get what you're saying because, you know, it feeds into like my, my thing is rarely do I burn a bridge completely. Right. I may not care for someone. So I'm like you say, I'm not probably not going to interact. We're not going to be calling on the phone or checking in on a regular basis or whatever. And I probably may not consider that person a strong part of my connection, a part of my network. But but they're also, like I said, I can count on one hand the number of people that I have burnt a bridge where I was like, they could never call me for help again. But that's because they did something so either um, um, uh, there were major integrity issues with something that they did. Um, you know, like they lied to my boss. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. But you know, there were integrity issues. Um, if there were legal issues, not normally that, but definitely to integrity issues. And I don't want to be affiliated with that. Um, then that's when I'm like, yeah, no, we, we're not going to be interacting at all ever again. Oh, no. And let me be clear. Somebody does me wrong. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. And not uh, only are we done, but they're probably going to be done with everybody that knows me. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This I want to put it out there. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't go around damaging people's reputations. Yes. But if somebody comes to me and says, hey, do you know so-and-so? I'm going to say, yeah, I do. Right. And if they and say, do it. you work with them? I'm going to say, not anymore. 
And that's going to yeah. be the end of that. So. Those, are, those are some of the great conversations. It's the whole skill of reading, reading between the lines. I will never forget um, <laughs> being um, meeting a friend on the street. We just ran into each other during lunch hour one time. And I think I was doing interviews for a position and this person, this other person still worked for state government. So, you know, there are rules about what they can or cannot say about someone. So I was just like, oh, hey, you know, I have so-and-so, I'm looking at this person. I think they used to work in your office or around you or something. And, um, and they were like, oh, okay. We never said anything else. I knew right then that there was a problem <laughs> and I need to do some more homework. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> response but, was all it took. <laughs> exactly. Because if if you are glowing about somebody, yes, right, it is obvious. And if you are not glowing about somebody, you don't have to say anything bad about them. Nope. But, you know, anybody who knows me knows if if I'm talking about somebody that I really believe in, it's going to be... It, it, like I just put it all on the table, right? Yeah. And if I'm being reserved about somebody, I'm like, eh. yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's know. funny. I um, this came up. I can't remember it, but it came up more recently when someone was talking about talking to me. They're like, "How do you manage when someone you know has an issue with someone else that you know, but you're fine with them?" And I'm like, "Well, you know that it comes up all the time, right? And that's yeah. just being very aware of the people you're interacting with, because like for me." rarely do I truly have problems with people, right? I mean, I'm one of those generally people think they can talk to me. You know, I mean, there are people that I engage with who don't know that I'm like, they really get on my nerves, but it's that whole, I'm courteous, whatever we have, we're connected because of some organization or something. So I know it's not like this person's not going to go away. Right. But I've had those situations where someone you know, I'm talking about something and someone will say, hey, I just want to ask, I'm not trying to be messy or certain anything, but like, what's your thoughts on this person? And that's when I know that there's a flag somewhere. And I'm like, so what's your concern? And when they tell me, and I'm like, thank you for sharing. It won't go anywhere else. And I appreciate having that information. And I do that. And when you're professional, you can do that. Right. And but for me, I'm able to do that because people know that they can trust me. And if they bring it to me, it's not going anywhere. I've been called the vault before because it's not leaving. That doesn't mean that I don't use that information to inform my choices from moving forward, but I'm not sharing it, you know, out of place because, hello, we can be professionals and work with people that we don't get along with or that we know other people have problems with, but be able to facilitate it anyways. I mean, my goodness, that was my whole job for years in government relations, right? So that's, again, but that's a skill that I learned and developed and everybody doesn't know how to do that. Yeah. You know, and I think that that level of diplomacy is so important because, you know, for example, you know, I've had situations where I've, I've introduced two people and their relationship didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And then they'll both come back to me and tell me about it. And I'm like, right. oh, wow, I'm really sorry that it didn't work out for you. Right. And that's kind of the end of my input, right? I'm really sorry it didn't work out for you. Done. Yes. I'm not going to trash talk my friend. I'm yeah. not, right? I've got a good relationship with them. Yes. I'm going to keep referring them. I'm going to keep referring the other, you know, the person that came to me. And um, until, you know, 
unless somebody really did something like egregious, right? Right. But a lot of times the truth's somewhere in the middle and I'm not, I, it's not my job to figure all that out for people. Like, Right, right. Well, and here's the thing, because women are notorious for that because we're fixers in general or nurturers, right? And trying, and people come to us for that. I remember one of my clients, professional, a lawyer, you know, uh, with some experience, you know, probably about mid-career, you know, and and how she came to me because she, she I think she got exposed to some of my content online or something. And um, because she was not in my regular circle, so it wasn't someone I knew. But when she came to me and we were talking and trying to figure out what things that she needed help with, and it turns out one of her major things was she was seen as the nurturer in her office. Um, and so people would come to her with their problems, forgetting that she was a 10 year lawyer who had responsibilities and they would be like, Oh, and so, and I was like, we got to cut that off. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you, you want to get ahead. You cannot be the office fixer. You cannot be the office mom. And so we, we and so we talked about skills and different things for her to do in order to lessen that. Because this is all about her, right? This is all about doing what she can control. She can't control people coming to her, but she can teach them to stop it. <laughs> Absolutely. And if she's at the center, if she if she lets herself be at the center of a bunch of other people's drama, mm-hmm. other people are then going to see her as somebody who attracts drama. Yeah, that's very that's very much a possibility. And or some people will see her as not really being of leadership quality because, oh, well, she's just kind of there always helping people. You know, I don't know that she will be able to make the difficult decision when it comes to something. Mm-hmm. See, those are those things that come back to haunt us when we least expect it. That's a part of that executive presence piece when you're learning about how to address some of your habits, some of your engagements, how you interact with people in a different way so that you can move to the next level because you know when you're in executive level positions or you start making and getting into decision uh, positions where uh, you know you have to make decisions they're hard and I've had that I, I remember with I will always remember you know a Labor Day weekend many years ago where I literally had to tell a 25 year employee that she was not going to have her job anymore in the way that it was but I had a different fix for her. And this was someone who was beloved by people. I mean, I was, I was hated because it looked like I came off this person, but it wasn't about her. It was about what was best for the organization at the time. And there needed to be a change. She was a wonderful person for, you know, for training and stuff, but she wasn't a great manager and I needed a manager. So, but you can't make those decisions if you're still always trying to be nice and fix it for everybody. Well, I think there's a difference, too, between making a tough decision and making a tough decision with empathy. Yes, I agree. And I think that's where women can really excel Yes, as executives and as leaders because we can channel that empathy into the way the decision is executed and the way it's communicated. Yes. Right. Decisions the same. And I've been parts of the you know parts of things where it's like, oh, welcome to the team. Your first assignment as a new manager is we're going to lay off 12 people in oh another office. Yeah. And I come in looking like, you know, the hatchet person, even though I yep. had nothing to do with the decision. I just kind of showed up and got the, you know, got my task. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But 
I was later told in that scenario that I was chosen for that, not because I was the new manager, but because they knew that I had been through layoffs before myself Mm -hmm. and they thought I would handle it with empathy that other managers maybe would not have. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that moment that I had a superpower Mm -hmm. because I had been through some changes and some things that other people in that in that organization hadn't dealt with before. And I could approach it still matter of factly, you know, still with the same, you know, the same financial outcome, but with much less human collateral damage than some of the other managers might have, have presented it with. And you know, and that is so true. And I'm going to tell you a story on the flip of that, right. Of being the recipient of one of those where, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a shift in leadership and, you know, office politics get nasty. I don't like all that. But the person coming in had been given instructions. And it, I knew it didn't have anything to do with me. Now, the people around them, they were like probably still trying to. It was like, whatever. And so I did. But what people don't know is after the fact, I went to the new leader and said, you know, I wish you the best and all that you do. If you need any help from me or clarity on some things after the fact, I'm I'm, you know, I made myself available and this person came to me. They're like, you know, I had already heard you were class act and you just confirmed it Mm. later on down the years when I would see this person in this, you know, in mixed environments where they knew that they were, you know, where other people knew they're like, wait, didn't, wasn't he the person that laid her off? And I would go up and we could give each other hugs and handshakes. People were so confused and that's because they did not know that we had had that conversation because I knew how to manage my relationships. My issue was never with that person. It's with other people behind the scenes. And I knew that that was not someone that I wanted to burn a bridge with. And so I did not. But those are the things we can learn how to do right? It takes some practice. It takes some courage, right? And a little bravery sometimes in order to stand up and to, and to, and to get to that level where you can, you don't necessarily have to be comfortable, but you can be confident in knowing that you're capable of doing what needs to be done, even if you're not sure about how to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, Patricia, I can tell that you are you know, from just all of the interactions that we've had, you are not only super passionate about what you do, but you're also very, very good at it. Thank you. If there's a woman, especially sitting here listening to this going, you know, I would really like to to level up as a Pokemon in my organization. <laughs> I want to evolve to the next level. And I think Patricia is just the person to help me. What's the best way for people to reach you? I, yeah. So I would love for you to reach out to me. My website is Patricia V Hayes. So P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A V as in Victor, H-A-Y-E-S.com. And, or if you just plug in my name and do a search, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and Facebook. If you are using LinkedIn, which is preferred a lot of times because that's where all the professionals hang out, and you say that you heard uh, about me on um, this podcast, I will automatically click you in and we can start connecting there. But any of those platforms, you can send me a note um, and I will respond personally and um, and we can get connected and set up a, a connect call and have a chat. That sounds great. I hope that a lot of people take you up on that offer because I can tell you just in the in the few interactions that you and I have had since we met, I am I am better for knowing you. 
and I am always lifted. I am always buoyed by our conversations. And I just find you absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me. Wasn't Patricia amazing? Okay, what I loved about this interview is I just enjoy talking to her so much. And I know this this interview kind of went off the rails a little bit in terms of the normal format, but um, I'm going to share a secret with you. We actually had recorded the official scripted interview, or not scripted, but you know, kind of following the plan interview. Um, and the sound quality was bad, and so we had to scrap it and redo it a few weeks later. So we went a little... A little around the bend on this one, but I just have so much fun talking to her and I hope you enjoyed our conversation too. If you did enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Now, maybe you're looking at your app thinking, Amy, there are only five stars there. Okay, give us all those stars, but then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you liked about the episode or the series. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. See It to Be It is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a certified woman and LGBTQ-owned business dedicated to helping organizations transform their reclusive nerds into inclusive leaders. Lead at any level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It to Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.